Well, today we're going to be in Matthew 28 for our text. Matthew 28, this is going to be Matthew's account of the resurrection. I'm going to begin in verse 1. And this week, as I was preparing for the message today, there's one little line in this section, one little line in the scripture that just jumped off the page for me, in which I have crafted and built the entire sermon along this one phrase. You'll hear it in just a moment. So Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Jesus has already went to the cross. He's already given his life. He's already been buried in a borrowed tomb. And in verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. I want you to be there. I want you to go there with me. I want you to see it. I want you to to feel outside the city on the side of the hill. I want you to, to feel what it would be like for a great earthquake, not just like a minor earthquake, but a major earthquake to happen. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, can you see it? And came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, when you hear angel, I want you to not think of like little Cupid, chubby, fat, little um, angel, little, little baby angel. I want you to think F-16 fighter jet. I want you to think an angel descending from heaven, shaking the ground, the very ground shaking, the everything rumbling, the noise. And this is, this is how significant and how powerful it was. Verse 3, and his appearance was like lightning. I mean, think of how bright lightning is. Lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The men that were guarding, the soldiers that were guarding the tomb, they became like dead men. Professional uh, soldiers become like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, he is not here, for he has risen. And he said, the angel said, come see the place where he lay. Then once you have seen, he says, go quickly and tell his disciples, which is we are in a religion. We're a faith that is telling other people about Jesus. We're preaching and we're proclaiming. And the angel tells the women, go tell somebody, go tell the disciples, let them know, go quickly, tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, here's the phrase, he is going before you. The angel looks at the women, and as they're getting ready to go, and this is the most significant, most impactful event that has ever happened in the history of the world, and the angel tells the women that Jesus, that he is going before you to Galilee. He's going ahead of you. He's going before you. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The the title for today is this, Jesus is going before you. Jesus is going before you. Before you, um, it reminds me. Have you, um, you ever uh, tried to do something that was challenging or difficult or dangerous? You ever attempted to do something and were nervous to do it, were hesitant to do it, but because somebody went before you, because someone was had gone before you, that gave you the confidence and the assurance and the comfort to be able to do what you thought you couldn't do. Uh, Two years ago, almost two years ago, in 2021, in the summer, I was able to take a sabbatical. It was wonderful, it was glorious, and I got to take several weeks with my family, and we got to do a lot of different things. One of the things that we got to do is take a trip to Hawaii. Anybody ever been to Hawaii? 
First, this is the first time, first time ever been to Hawaii. You've heard, some of you have been around for a couple of years, you've heard me tell this story. Um, we, we, we spent a, a few days um, on Oahu, and then we spent a, f- a few days um, on the Big Island. And the Big Island is huge, it has a lot of different climates, there's a volcano, there's a tropical rainforest, it's, it's crazy. And uh, one specific day, we wanted to go all the way down to the very tip of the Big Island, Hawaii. And at the very tip of this island, it's the southernmost point of the United States. And and uh, we did not know exactly what we were getting into, um, but as you, would, you would get off of the main highway that's kind of going around that circles the island, and then you would get on a road, a little tiny road that was about, I think, upwards of 10 or 12 miles, and you would head straight south, and it was kind of downhill the entire way until you got to the very end of the island. It looks like this. I got a picture for you. This is what it looks like standing on um, the edge of this, and it's a cliff, and there, there's cliffs, and at some points, it's upwards of 100 or 200 feet tall, and you get very, to the very end, it's, it's about, up, about 40 feet or, or so. Um, when we showed up, there were people jumping off the cliff into the ocean, and we were like, this is amazing. At least I was. A, a few others of us were not, did not think this was amazing. And, um, and I, I, remember, I remember standing there and being, and being like, as an adventurer, as an extreme person, I was like, I have to do this. I have to participate in this. Never done it before, but there's a few people that were jumping off. And I'm like, how do they get back up? Well, there's this like rinky-dink little like 50-year-old ladder that looks like it's been been, um, uh, improved upon about four times, you know, over the course of the years, and it's not even the same thing. And these people are jumping in 40 feet off the cliff and then coming all, all the way back up. And so, um, what do I do? I jump, jump. I get a get a get a running start and jump off the cliff. Here's what's crazy: not only do I do it, my wife does it. My wife jumps off this cliff. Not only does my wife do it, my, uh, at the time, Nora, my, she was my oldest, maybe roughly nine or 10 years old. She off of it with me. And then my middle child as well, Harper, roughly about the age of seven, jumps off this cliff with me also. Now, here's, here's the reality. If we would have just shown up all by ourselves and went to the end of this cliff, I'd have been like, wow, this is a great view. And then we would have looked around and then we would have went home. But because someone was there and was doing it before us, it gave us the ability and the confidence that we could do it too. You see, if you're attempting something challenging or difficult or dangerous, there's a level of assurance, there's a level of comfort, there's a level of confirmation to know that someone else has gone before you. Today, the message is that Jesus has gone before you. Jesus is going before you. Now, at Jesus' resurrection, there are many events that have led up to this, this very moment. Jesus had entered the city of Jerusalem, knowing that Passover was coming, uh, knowing that he was going to Jerusalem to give his life for the sins of the world. So he and his, he and his posse, he and his disciples, they come back to Jerusalem. He would celebrate the Last Supper with them in the upper room. He would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would pray with his disciples. He would there that evening experience betrayal of Judas. He would be arrested by the Roman authorities. He would be a abandoned by all his other, all the other disciples, and the process would lead for the next few hours of Jesus being scourged, his body being whipped and bruised and battered, and he would carry his cross up the hill of Golgotha to the place of a skull where he would be hung on a cross and he would breathe his last breath, and Jesus would say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Just a few moments after his death, Joseph, Joseph rather requested of Pilate to have the ability to take down Jesus' body since it was the day of preparation before the Sabbath. And Pilate granted Joseph, this secret leader, secret disciple of Jesus, gave him the authority to take Jesus' body down. I, I can imagine being there, uh, pulling the huge nails out of the, the cross and trying to hold his body and carry his body and likely putting his body on a cart and taking his body away from the crucifixion site and taking him to the tomb. And as Joseph would get to the tomb, it would tell us as well that Nicodemus and, either, and also some other women would, would bring spices and they would treat Jesus' body and they would anoint his body and they would wrap his body in linen before it was put into the tomb and before the stone was rolled in front of it. And Pilate would honor the request of the high priest that would a guard, uh, an entire Roman uh, guard of soldiers would watch over the gravesite and Pilate would send them there. And then early on Sunday morning after the Sabbath, the women returned to treat the body again. They come back to the grave and there the earthquake happens. And the angel says, he is not here, he is risen. And as they leave, the angel says, he is going before you. I'd like to share with you today three quick ways, three short ways that Jesus is going before you. Here's number one. Here's the first one. Jesus is going before you in life. Jesus is going before you in life. A few scriptures. First John 3, 4 says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and here's how, and in him there is no sin. There is no lawlessness. There is no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. <clears throat> For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Him who there is no sin as well. 1 Peter 1.18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. Get this, the sinless spotless lamb of God. See, Jesus would enter human history. The reason that the son of God, that the reason that he would leave heaven, the reason that he would come, the reason that he would take on human flesh, which is bizarre, which is, which is odd, which is, which is strange. The reason that God would take on human flesh was because he would have to become fully man and fully God. He would have to meet all the moral requirements of the law. He would have to be the sinless savior. And why a Christ at all? Why a Messiah at all? Why a Savior at all? And here's why. Christ had to live the life that you could not live. And here's what we are very well aware of today, is that Christ has lived the life that you could not live. You and I were supposed to live a life of moral perfection. We were supposed to live a life of righteousness before God. We were supposed to live a life in the way that we were created and designed to live by God. And Christ had to live the life that you could not live. And by living a sinless life, Jesus demonstrated complete dominance over sin. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Little pastoral moment for you. Um, this first point is directed towards the person who never thinks they're good enough. Different kinds of people that are in the room today, different people that are watching online, different kinds of experiences, different kinds of feelings, different kinds of thoughts, different kinds of mindsets. This first point 
that Jesus lived the life that you could not live, this is directed at the person who thinks that they're never good enough. Is that you? <clears throat> you, you feel like you, you'll, you'll never stack up. Your just entire life, you just, you just feel like you are a failure because of the things that you've done or perhaps because of the things that have been done to you. And so you live and you live in such a sense of shame. You live in a sense of regret. You, you, you live with um, overbearing condemnation, which has a tendency to give you an inferiority complex. Well, I'm just not like everyone else. I'm just not like them. This first point is directed to the person who feels like or thinks they are never good enough. And here's the good news for you today. The good news for you is that Christ has become everything you could not become. He has become everything that you could not become. And, and when you look at your past and when you look at your life and you look at your failures and you think, look at the ways that you have, have, have come up short, the good news for you today is that Jesus has gone before you in life. He's gone before you in life and he's lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he met all the perfect moral requirements of the law that you and I did not have the ability to live. And so the good news today is that Jesus has gone before us in life. Here's number two. Jesus is going before you in death. Not only is he going before you in life, he's going before you in death. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why Christ at all? Why a Messiah? Why would the God of heaven come and enter human history? Why do we need a Christ? Why do we need the Messiah? And here's why. Christ had to die the death you should have died. Christ had to die the death that you should have died. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me do another pastoral moment. And the first point, that is directed towards people who think that they'll never be good enough. The second point, rather, is directed towards the person who thinks they're good enough. See, different kinds of people in the room, different kinds of perspectives and mindsets. There are really people in the room who live with a sense of shame and condemnation, never feeling like they are good enough. But there's also people in the room, you're like, I'm married to this person, you're, these people in the room um, who do think that they're good enough. They actually think that they're good enough. They, 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 they've done the things, that they've done, they've done it all. You think that you're a pretty good person. I mean, especially compared to others, you're not nearly as bad as them. You're competent, you work hard, um, you've made it. Because you think you're not as, ba as bad as some others, you, you think that you don't need what they need. And this has caused you to view life with a superiority complex. Of course, um, you wouldn't say it like that, but there's people... Um, down there who can't quite cut it, and then people like you who, you know, know how to make it happen. Well, Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is that you're comparing yourself with the wrong thing. You're comparing yourself with people around you rather than comparing yourself with the glory of God, and every person falls short of the glory of God. There are no tiers or hierarchy in humanity. We're all in the same category of falling short of God's glory, his measure, his standard of holiness and righteousness. And to think that you don't need what other people need is essentially making the same mistake that the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son made. You remember that story? two sons. It's called the prodigal son. It really should be called the prodigal sons. 
The younger brother, what does he do? He, he, he goes off and he, he wastes his father's inheritance. He lives in licentious living. He abandons um, his, his, his father and he tries to find his own salvation, his own hope, his own happiness, his own whatever in the things of the world. And he comes up empty and he recognizes that he doesn't actually have the ability uh, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And he comes back to the father. He returns to the father in humility and desperation and says, will you receive me again? And what does the father do? The father runs after him. The father runs after him with abandonment and lavishes love on him and throws a huge feast and says, everyone, our family member, my own son has come. Let us celebrate the return of the prodigal son. And then what what does the elder brother do? The elder brother says, this isn't right. Look at all the things that I have done. I never left you. I never went away. I I, I got good grades. I got the GPA. I was obedient. I did all the things. I did all the, how could you treat him like this and not treat me like this? And the elder brother made the same mistake thinking that he could actually find the father's love and approval in the things that he was doing rather than in the father himself. The challenge is that you can have a somewhat of a superiority complex thinking that you are good enough, but here's the good news. The good news for you is not only that you are way worse than you ever imagined, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. You're way worse than you can even conceive. Like you're way, way worse. If you had the ability to have God's vision and God's eyes and to see your situation and your life and your past and everything, you would recognize that you are not good enough. You are way worse than you ever imagined, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. And Jesus is going before you in death. That's the reason that he had to die because he had to die for you because you were going to have to die for you if he didn't die for you. And then here's number three is this. Jesus is going before you in resurrection. Jesus is going before you in life. Jesus is going before you in death. And Jesus is going before you in resurrection. A few, a few scriptures, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Romans 6, 5 through 9. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why a Messiah? Why a Christ? Why a Savior? What's the need? Here's here's the need. Christ had to conquer the grave you could not conquer. Christ had to conquer the grave you could not conquer. And this final point is directed towards everyone. It's directed towards everyone, and, and, and whether or not you feel like you are the person that will never match up, and you're never good enough, and you're never, you're never going to uh, be successful or whatever, or whether you think that you, you are good enough, and you feel like your own, your own past and your own pride and your, your own history makes you good enough, to all of us, whether you think you are on this side or on that side, at the end of the day, you still do not have the ability to overcome the grave itself. I've heard it said that our greatest enemy is not a virus, and we've walked through the last few years of recognizing what a virus can do to the global population. I've heard it said that your greatest enemy is not 
a family member or a work situation or a financial situation or a health situation, at the end of the day, your greatest enemy is death. And the reason is that no one in the history of the world, earthly speaking, has been able to overcome death. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham. It doesn't matter if you live on Wrightsville Beach. It doesn't matter if you live downtown. It doesn't matter if you live in Brunswick County. Can I get an amen in the house? (laughs) Regardless of who you are and regardless of what you have, you do not have the ability to overcome death. It's stronger than you. It's greater than you. It's more powerful than you. And for every single person in the room today, death is coming for you. Death is coming for you. But the good news today is that Christ has conquered the grave that we could not conquer. The reason that he came, the reason that he lived, the reason that he died, the reason that he rose from the grave was that he was going before you. He was going before you. And what we know about life is that life will throw you the unexpected, won't it? Life will throw you the unexpected. What's not planned, what's not predicted. Anybody ever gone through life and it didn't go the way that you thought it would go? Life didn't, marriage didn't go the way that you thought it would go. Business didn't go the way that you thought it would go. Children didn't go the way that you, health didn't go. Church didn't go the way that you thought it would go. Life has this way of being unexpected and giving us curves and putting us in situations that are Incredibly hard and, and, and challenging. Um, this morning as I was preparing, I was reminded of um, my third daughter when she was born. We have three daughters, and our youngest is Claire. We call her Claire Bear. Many of you see her running around here. Uh, Claire is our, our, our youngest. She's just a little petite thing. And she was, she was born in 2015, in May of 2015, and we were happy, excited parents, and our third child, a healthy baby, and went home, and we're just uh, doing our thing. And at the two-week point, um, we went to the doctor and did a checkup, and uh, the doctor, our pediatrician, said, um, something isn't quite right. She's got a high fever. And we couldn't really tell. We didn't know exactly what was going on. And uh, the doctor said, uh, you have to go to the hospital. This is the protocol. Take her to the hospital. And so really un. No, not knowing what was going on, we, we, we rushed her to the hospital, and um, they run a bunch of tests. I mean, it's, 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 it's awful looking at a two-week-old and trying to see doctors running tests and trying to put in IVs, and I mean, it's just, she's just a tiny little thing, and uh, they, would, they would also have to um, do a spinal tap um, because they still couldn't figure out exactly what was going on, and after they did the spinal tap, they, uh, it revealed that she had a bacterial meningitis, which at that stage, if, uh, if I remember right, it's, it's upwards of 20, 20, 25% of a fatality rate um, at that age. And for the next 22 days, 21, 22 days, I remember we would sit in that hospital room not knowing what would come, not knowing what would happen, not knowing how things would play out. By God's grace, um, um, by God's grace, she was she was healed, and, and she was, and we didn't we didn't lose her, and she would be her happy-go-lucky, jolly self, dancing like crazy and doing cartwheels and back rollovers and all the sorts, and all the all all the stuff, and she's she's wonderful and she's amazing. But in that in that moment, we we did we didn't know that, and it's in moments in life when you're in a hospital room, when you're in a jail cell, when you're in a bedroom thinking about taking your life, 
It's in those moments where you've got to recognize and believe that Jesus has gone before you. Jesus is going before you. And there is no situation and there is no circumstance where he has not gone before you. And even when your life ends, you can trust that Jesus has gone before you in that moment. He's gone before you. He's went to the grave. He's went under the ground. He lost his life. He took his last breath, but he conquered grave for the grave for you and for me, giving us assurance that if we are in him, we will conquer the grave as well. Jesus is going before you. Amen. Can we put our hands together, church, and just thank the Lord for his, his goodness and Church, would you pray with me? Father, today, as we sit here on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, and we think about the most transformational, most impactful event in the history of the world, that Jesus overcame death, Father, would you give us the assurance and the strength and the confidence to believe that Jesus has gone before us? And wherever he goes, I feel this in my spirit right now, wherever he goes, we can go also. So Father, for every person and for every situation, Lord, we ask for faith and belief to trust that we can go where Jesus goes. Hey, church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, whether you're online or whether you're in person today, can, can I just ask you a can I just ask you a, a question? Can I give you just a moment of reflection? As I say often, your life will be um, determined not by your intentions, but by your decisions, the decisions you make. Spiritual decisions that you make in your life are the most important decisions in the world. And as we reflect in this moment, can I ask you a question? Have you ever made the decision to give your life to God? Have you ever made the decision to trust Christ? Have you ever made the decision to receive him in your own life? God says that salvation comes not by, not by works or not by doing good or trying hard or making yourself a good person. Salvation only comes by faith in Christ alone. It only comes by faith, which means trusting, surrendering, believing in your own heart of what he has done for you. Perhaps that's you today with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you want to make a decision today for Christ. You could do something like this in your own heart before God. You could tell God, God, today, I trust you with my life. God, today, I believe in you. God, today, I receive what Christ has done, his life, his death, his resurrection for me. In Jesus' name, amen.